Welcome to De-Stress Your Business, the podcast where we show you how to get incredible results in your business without constant stress. I'm Alexis Kingsbury, a serial entrepreneur and founder at Air Manual. I'm joined today by a special guest, Denise Duffield-Thomas, the money mentor for entrepreneurs. Denise believes that one extremely impactful way to change the world is to put more money in the hands of entrepreneurs who want to make a difference. Her highly rated books, Lucky Bitch, Chillpreneur, Get Rich Lucky Bitch, and her newest book, Chill and Prosper, give a fresh and funny roadmap to living a life of abundance without burnout. And her money bootcamp has helped over 8,500 students from all around the world. So she's achieved some amazing things, and I'm so glad that she's joining me today. Denise, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate being here. Fantastic. Well, if we could start, uh, could you tell us a bit about your background and what led you to Chillpreneur and Chill and Prosper and so on? Well, I grew up in Australia in a small town, a small beach town that's very similar to Home and Away, actually, if you've watched that show. <laughs> the TV show, okay. The TV yeah. show Home and Away, yeah. You know, small beach town. And I don't come from an entrepreneurial family. You know, my mum had me very young. And we moved around a lot and, you know, she would be a waitress or a cleaner. But there was just something, I think I was just a very creative kid. And I started my first business when I was nine, selling bracelets. Nice. Um, yeah, and but I remember the joy of um, not only coming up with the idea and making it, but actually selling. And I remember riding around on my bike and I would see a group of kids and I'd be like, well, they want to buy my bracelets, you know, and I'd ride up to them and be like, here's, look at this cool bracelet. Do you want to buy one? And it was just that pure, innocent joy of selling. And I remember um, talking about it at school for show and tell. And my teacher was like, oh, this is a teachable moment. And was like, well, how much does it cost to buy, you know, your materials and how much are you selling them for? And it was the first time I felt like I'd really made a mistake you know, and mm. I felt really em embarrassed about it because for me, actually, it wasn't um, the motivation wasn't necessarily the money. It was the joy of creation and sharing it with other people yeah. was the big thing for me. And so I felt quite embarrassed about um, my financial acumen at age nine because <laughs> because I felt really dumb. I felt like, oh, my God, I, um, I'm basically selling them for what it cost me to make. You know, and so it was a really kind of harsh lesson. But I, I continued that pattern of, of wanting to share things with people. And I, would, I was really good at kind of convincing my friends to start projects with me. And I would never, some of them would never really pan out. I'd be like, guys, we're going to sell horse poo. Like, this is the thing. And so I'd kind of rope everyone into coming and like collecting horse poo. But I, would, I was never a really good completer finisher. And that's true even still today. <laughs> um, and... So that was just kind of always my personality. But I really struggled in my 20s to find my thing. You know, it was, um, you know, like the early 2000s, internet stuff was very new. And I'd heard about, you know, online courses and ebooks and things like that. And so I decided to write an ebook in 2002. And it was, you couldn't sell it yourself. You know, you could barely PDF things yourself back then. Yeah. So I had to go through an ebook broker to sell this ebook, and it was um, it was called Internet Dating Tips for Men, 
And because I was doing internet dating, which was very new and a little bit controversial, um, and I was living in the UK, and I was like, man, everyone sucks at this, you know? Yeah. And I think that's all of my early businesses were like, well, I, I can help someone with this, you know? And so that was kind of my first online business. But most of my 20s, I really spent um, being in jobs that were very frustrating, hearing little rumors about this entrepreneurial world that was out there, but not knowing enough entrepreneurs to normalize it for myself. Mm. And also the technology just wasn't quite there to do it. And so my first online course was in 2009. And again, the technology was so, so hard, you know, like no Zoom. So I, we had to use, uh, it was called Instant Tele Seminar. And each, each call would cost me about $80 to, to run, which is a lot of money back then. And, you know, I had to build my own website. There's no drag and drop stuff. My online portal, everyone had the same password, you know, just all of those things were, were pretty, um, simple, but also I was just frustrated. I was like, when is this going to happen for me? And when am I going to find my idea? Um, and I went into the world of coaching when I was about 30 mm -hmm. and I immediately loved it, you know, and I, and I'd known about the world of coaching for a long time. I had my first life coach at 19, but I was secretly worried in my friendship group. It was just seen as very, um, I don't know, just wanky translate. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it just seemed like, oh, this is just a scam. It's not a real, mm. you know, industry to go into. A lot of my friends were in consulting or my friends back at home were, you know, nurses and teachers. And they were always just kind of like, oh, Denise, you and your, you know, little scams that you're trying, <laughs> trying to come up with. But back to I selling horse poo. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> right. And because I was kind of in my 20s, I was always like, oh, guys, I'm doing a medical experiment for money, you know, or I'm doing all these things. And they were always just like, oh, my God. You know, I was selling MLM for a little bit. And it was because I was just seeking, you know, I wanted creativity and freedom and I wanted oh. to be an entrepreneur. I just didn't know anybody who was in that world. And I think once I found a few of those groups, especially women in business, and I think this is so key, when I first kind of discovered these entrepreneurial groups, I'd be the only woman in the room. And I'd be, you know, in my 20s, everyone else would be in their 40s. And so once I found groups of women in business, it normalized it enough for me to mm. think that I could do it for myself. And, um, and once I sort of got into the world of coaching and got over my, you know, embarrassment, I guess, about it, it everything kind of quickly snowballed from there because I, I realized, oh, I like, you know, business coaching rather than career coaching. I, you know, I like working with people at this particular um, stage of business and it, it very much kind of snowballed, but I realized that money was something that people were really stuck on and not money from an accounting point of view, but money from a mindset point of mm. view. And that's where I started to get really interested in it. And, you know, 12 years later of being in that space of mindset, I still find new nuances all of the time. And so now what I'm doing is exploring other little pockets of like, bringing together all my British clients and saying, what, what money blocks have you got from growing up in Britain? What money blocks have you got from being in the construction industry or from being an artist and finding those little pockets? And, and that's, that's what I do now. So I have my online course and I um, have my books uh, all about money mindset. I love that. I love that. And it's, it's such an interesting journey where 
as you say, you came from a background and, and a setup where you didn't have the input and the examples around you to kind of see really what entrepreneurship looked like. And in fact, as you say, <laughs> although I'm sure your teacher meant well, <laughs> yes. not super helpful really in terms of nurturing you through that journey. It uh, reminds me of a, a similar experience that I had when I was studying business studies where the intention is good, but actually it doesn't kind of nurture you in the right way. Although or arguably perhaps, you know, the fact that you remember it and the fact that you've ended up going into money mindset, you know, maybe that was exactly what you needed. But I think that it's such a challenging area is that area of, of money. You know, it's, you've worked in relationships, money as well as other big causes of stress and areas in which we've all got our own hang-ups and bad experiences, whether it's bad dates or really tough experiences in our financial positions. So you've been studying this and working with so many different business owners across a variety of geographies and industries and so on. Managing money clearly is a big source of stress for many. Why is that? What's the fundamental root of and root cause of those that sort of feeling? Well, I mean, we have been told in a million different ways, it's, it's really hard to make money. Or you have to work hard to make money. So I would say that's probably one of the fundamentals. I do think this is going to shift through the generations, though. And the reason why for kind of our generation, I'm guessing we're a similar-ish age, I grew up without the internet. I grew up where if you were an entrepreneur, it meant you had to fund everything yourself. You know, yeah. like if you were making a widget, you would have to raise money to make it, store it, ship it do everything yourself, right? And so there was this shift probably, you know, for me, it was in my late teens, uh, early 20s, where it was like, oh, you don't have to leverage, you mm -hmm. know, like it's not a one-to-one -one relationship. And that's only grown over the last 20 years since I've, yeah. you know, been in this world is your, uh, your input and your output. It's not a, it's not a linear formula. Yes. And I think that breaks our brain a little bit. Yeah. It, the math doesn't math. It's just like, what? And I think that's a really big thing about the, you know, analog childhood and, and this digital world. And I, I still sometimes find it hard to, to get my head around, but I could see my entrepreneurial journey. You know, when I, um, when I made like 250000 a year, and I remember thinking, I really want to be a millionaire, but how am I going to work four times harder? Because that's how... That's yeah, how you've been taught. Yeah, the linear thinking, yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, you know, another day, another dollar. You know, you're putting, you put the work in, you get the output out, and we know that that's not true. You know, you could create something once and make millions of dollars from it, or, you know, depending on how you set up your business, it's just, it does not compute, I think. And so then you go into the other layers of that, of what did your parents do? How did they make mm -hmm. money? how what's what's your experience of how people are allowed to make money um how much are you allowed to leverage your time with staff getting help mm -hmm. leverage with technology most of, that's all available to all of us now but yeah. we all resist it in different ways right and i resisted getting help for a long time because i was like no i have to do it myself or it doesn't count mm -hmm. you know or some people are real connectors and they're like well it doesn't count unless i'm sitting in front of someone, that's real money. Or it doesn't count unless I'm, you know, like suffering for it in, in some way. 
And that's totally dependent on our own personalities and what mm. our backgrounds are. But it really comes down to this thing of we've just heard so many times, you, you have to work hard to make money. That's it. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think, and um, I remember seeing you talk on a, a video where you talked about that kind of those money blocks that you have at different stages in the journey and sort of hitting that first one when you got to a, about 120,000. I think you, you said that uh, in the video you talked about how it was kind of the level of income that your your rich uncle essentially was at. Yeah. And, uh, and as a result, feeling like surpassing that was a weird thing. And then when you did get past that, get into a similar one around a quarter of a million where you felt like, as you say, how am I going to work four times as much? And I think those just keep happening, right? Like as, as, as yes. you grow the business, you kind of keep on hitting new blocks. And it's, I always think it's a weird thing as well that you can't just go from one to a million because the steps that are required to get there, like in terms of being able to sell and work out what the product, get the right product market fit, et cetera, require you to do some of those early steps to get to your first you know, six figures and so on requires getting the sales right. Whereas then getting to a million and 10 million requires systems and structure, which if you put that into early, <laughs> uh, actually can hold you back from being able to iterate and so on. And I think it's a really hard shift to go through as, a, as an entrepreneur. When it comes to that kind of money management and the stress associated with it, like how bad can that get? What are some of the, perhaps you can share through examples of cases where you've seen like this fundamentally having a negative, life-changing impact for people? Well, I think that's the second block that I, I see a lot, actually, is this idea that um, you can help people or make money. Mm. But it's not okay to do both, really. And even if you intellectually know, okay, the more people I help, the more money I make, you know, we all understand that. But there's still something there where we go, yeah, but it's still not kind of cool. Like, there's a limit to how much I can make. Otherwise, I really don't care that much. And this is where if you have this, it's um, definitely amplified in particular industries. And why, the where I see it a lot is with my clients in the health field. Mm -hmm. So they're health coaches. They might help people with, um, you know, problems after having babies or some sort of challenge. And they feel incredibly guilty making money out of helping people. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worse for women, to be honest, absolutely, because we are told from a young age in lots of ways, you know, it's um, to share and to, you know, to be caring and to not expect things in return. It can be amplified if you come from a religious background mm -hmm. because it's more blessed to give than receive. And what I see happening there is people start to go, they say things like, oh, I don't care about the money. I just want to help people. Mm -hmm as if they have to be mutually exclusive. And then it will be amplified back to you. It will be echoed back to you by your audience. And you'll hear things like, well, if you really cared, this should be free. <laughs> you know, and then it, the guilt is even worse because you just go, well, I, I should be helping people for free. And what I see with people in that, in, with the, especially with that kind of nurturing, caring personality, they stay in their day job for so long because they can never make money out of their business because they undercharge, they overdeliver, they feel guilty about putting a price tag on it at all and they really, really get stuck. But I would say most entrepreneurs have that in some way. But it's, it can be very personal. So you might think I can be a good parent or I can make a lot of money, but mm -hmm. I can't do both. 
I can be an environmentalist. I can very care deeply I or make money. I can be, you know, politically aware or I can be, you know, left-leaning or I can be, uh, you know, a citizen of the world or make money, but I can't do both. And it's because, you know, most of us don't have examples of nice, normal, down-to-earth or caring or ethical people mm. who make money. We don't have enough examples of that. And so we do think it's a binary choice. And this is where people, they, they hold themselves back because they feel like just deep down, it's just unethical for me to, to make more money. And I find that that is one that usually carries with people's journeys. You know, they'll go, oh, okay, no, I get over it. And then it, they'll, they'll just hit it again and again of going, no, this is really unethical now, or it's unseemly. And for me, I started feeling really guilty about making money because my mom was still in a job. Mm. And my first speaking gig, um, I didn't know how much to charge. And they called me and said, you know, what's your rate? And I was like, what's your budget? And they were like, it's $500. And I went, what a coincidence. That's my rate. <laughs> and I was like thrilled to be yeah. paid $500 to speak. And I told my mom and I was like, oh my God. And she said, that's my weekly wage mm -hmm. at the nursing yeah. home. And I felt like a piece of crap. Like she wasn't shaming me, but I could just see no. her going, whoa. And I was like, I am a piece of shit. Like I, I felt horrible about it. And so when I got to, I don't know, a couple of multiple six figures or whatever, I just, I went, I actually can't sleep at night anymore knowing my mum is doing this the work because mm. she was getting up at 4.30 in the morning and, you know, working really, really hard. So I, I said to her, look, I want to retire you and I'll replace your job income and I'll pay for whatever you need but just don't work anymore. And she was like, yeah, fine, yeah, of course. So for the last like six, seven years, she nice. she has a, a guest suite at our house, but she actually lives in a motor home and travels around. She's actually on an eight week cruise at the moment. Nice. And, and that was a small price to pay. And then we did the same for Mark's mom because she was a single mom too. And that helped us sleep at night and earn more money. And I really think that skyrocketed my income because I felt so guilty about it. I love that as a brilliant example because I could look at we could look at that and say, well, actually, you know, that wasn't a required action. Yes, lovely no. and great and whatever, but at the same time, we could look at it as a as almost a negative response to a guilty emotion that actually the the underlying issue is actually should you feel like this and you know the fact that it's your mum versus you know, most people on the planet that are that are paid in that way, should that make much difference? What I love is that your response demonstrates um, that, that removing that mental block for you, taking that obstacle of thinking, then resulted in, A, you feeling better, and it's good for your family and so on, just objectively, but actually the fact that you can then because uh, make more money as a result. I can totally see how it would remove that obstacle and suddenly you no longer feel guilty about asking for more than you know, $500 or more for speaking because you're like, oh, but I've totally done this thing, so it's fine. Yeah. And, if, and if anything, I suspect that... Uh, uh, in fact, I'll ask you the question, which is, did you find that then it kind of almost gave you an increased motivation because you're thinking, well, now I'm funding my own income but also that of you know, my mum as well and making sure that she could continue to do that. How, like, how did that play out in terms of affecting how you then thought about business and making money? Um, well, first of all, therapists always 
have a field day around this, right? Because they're like, you're continuing this pattern of, you know, being the oldest child. And, you know, I felt very responsible for my mom as a kid, you know, so I, I'm aware that it's, it's an unhealthy pattern in a way, right? It's that part of my personality that feels really responsible for people. Mm-hmm. But I do see it as it was an amplifier for me because I was like, I don't think I could have made more money feeling that block and feeling that guilt. And, you know, so it wor- it works out for me in that way. But, and, I, and I'm not going to lie too, there's, because my husband works in the business now too, right? Yeah. And so there are points where I feel the burden of that sometimes. Yeah. And I do think that's something that people are afraid of, especially women, is what's it going to be like being the breadwinner? And it does sometimes feel like that of going, wow, everyone, you know, I'm responsible for everybody. And I have to do a lot of work to make sure that that's clean for me. And I go, I choose to do this. I choose to do it. But yeah, a lot of women are scared of being the breadwinner and what would that mean? And I see it as a massive privilege. And, you know, it's funny because my mom, she has this beautiful free life. She'll come and she'll hang out with the kids for a bit. And when she's done, she's just like, bye. And, you know, she cashes cashes out her superannuation to go on trips because Mm. I'm her, I'm her retirement plan, really. And I can see that as a burden, but I I do see it as a really beautiful privilege that I get, that I get to do. And, but I understand now, this is a really fascinating thing. Growing Mm. up, I would see my grandfather He'd come home from work because he was a breadwinner and he would be like, he'd go into his rumpus room, he'd, you know, change the TV, he'd expect the dinner on the table. And I actually, I, I get it now. It's okay, yeah. <laughs> I do, I get it because sometimes I think, you guys should serve me. You know, yeah. like, yes, get me a cup of tea. Um, and so it's it's given me compassion for that um mm mental burden I think that men have usually had to in in some cases had to to bear and um and I I kind of just I can handle this you know I can I can handle this and I choose um to do it yeah Yeah. nice that's really interesting and I I think it it points to another part of stress around money management right is that one part of it is that um in having to make sure that you're in a position to look after yourself and make sure there's food and shelter and so on for uh, for yourself as a, a functioning adult. But then particularly over the course of your life, you normally accumulate dependence, whether it's children or parents that, that you have to then care for and support. And then actually, as you grow a business, you've then got employees and their families and so on. And in some cases, with some overlap, particularly when you start hiring family members, like a husband and so on. So yes. that creates a whole constellation of stress when things get hard. And that's something that I see a lot for business owners is that they want to grow, they want to have an amazing impact, they'll, they'll happily put the hours in and even enjoy putting in the hours in, you know, occasional evenings, weekends, etc. It's like, yeah, this is good. And then when things go bad, and particularly when the money starts to dwindle or the you know revenue tanks or whatever, that's where the, everything shifts. Suddenly they're having to work hard and they're stuck in the business and they're approaching burnout and they struggle to maintain nice, supportive, amicable relationships with those around them because it's coming from a no- more negative place. I know that your you know, your recommended approach to money management, financial planning to reduce stress, you know, and take some more holistic approach. Can you share like 
What does that look like or how would you advise business owners to reduce the stress around yeah. management and when they're in those kind of situations? Totally. And the first thing to say, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an accountant. So I'm very much in that mindset space. Mm. But I know that not getting help around those things is a massive mindset issue. You know, I see people who don't hire bookkeepers and accountants out of shame and embarrassment. They, they don't want people to see behind the scenes. They, don't, uh, they think that they're really messy and imperfect and it's, you know, embarrassing. And I remember that was me in my first year. I, I found my bookkeeping incredibly stressful and I hired somebody and she would say, just send me your receipts. And I'd be like, no, no, I'll clean it up first. So, you know, let me, let me get it. And she was like, box them up, send it to me. It will be like Christmas for me, you know, getting this in. And, but I was so intimidated by it. And then the first time I met with a financial advisor, um, we had, a, you know, a little baby at that stage. And I remember thinking, well, I'll go and change the baby and I'll let the men talk about money. And I just went, what? And I, can't, I couldn't believe that it came into my mind because the only reason why we're seeing a financial advisor is because my, my business was doing so well yeah. that we had money to invest. And I remember in that moment, I said, um, I said, Mark, can you go and change the baby? And I'll tell these guys about my business. And it really felt like this power move for me because I realized I just, I had this identity that I wasn't good with numbers, which I'm not. Mm. I've got dyscalculia, which is dyslexia for numbers. Um, I, you know, was irresponsible with money or I, I didn't understand those systems mm -hmm. and the world is for men anyway, and they're not going to understand my business and they're going to think it's silly and frivolous and all of those things. And, um, I see that all the time. People are, have hangups about that and fears that are real and not real. So if you had bankruptcy in your family, mm -hmm. you know, you might have that fear that that will happen again. Sometimes there's this roller coaster effect where I've heard it called the shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations, you know, where it's like a working class person makes a lot of money, um, their kids become, you know, doctors, lawyers, accountants, their kids are wealthy kids, trust fund kids who are too far removed and so they're the ones that lose it. And, but I see these patterns playing out, right, of going we swing because our parents were frugal, so then we spend heaps of money or mm -hmm. vice versa. And the, these patterns just occur again and again. And so our job really is just to be aware of those patterns so we can break them, but also not feel like we have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect with money to make money. You'll make mistakes for sure. And you can find people to help you with those things and Love help that. you manage money. And I just met with our financial advisor last week, actually, and it was really great because he's kind of our age and he's second generation. It's his dad's firm. And I was like, this is so cool. Like he was telling us about the markets and showing us these things. Like this is what's happening in America and this is where the lag will be in Australia. And I was like, you're a big freaking nerd and I love that I don't have to think about this and you can think about it and I don't have to. And it was very empowering, but I would have been incredibly intimidated by mm. him even probably five years ago and not wanted to ask stupid questions and things like that. So everyone's got to have that self-awareness to go, why can't I have that? Or why don't I trust myself with more money? Why am I not allowed to make more money? Yeah, I can see that. And I think that's great advice around, particularly around being okay with not having all the answers 
and being able to get help, particularly when it comes to money management, financial planning and so on, which are areas of huge breadth and depth and it's very easy to end up uh, frankly a bit confused by it all when the, you know people are talking about EIS schemes and VCTs and everything's got its own little three-letter acronym that seems purposefully designed to keep everyone out and then someone who's skilled in it and has got that knowledge can make it look much simpler to navigate. Uh, I mean for, for some people They'll be thinking, yeah, I'd love to have a financial advisor and I'd love to mm. have a bookkeeper and accountant and so on. I simply can't afford that, though. What would you say to those kind of business owners that are in, in, in that kind of mindset and stage of their business? Well, here's the cool thing about bookkeepers and accountants is that they charge in six-minute increments. So they are actually used to working on a lot of different projects. Mm. And what... Um, you know, for me, hiring a bookkeeper, it wasn't even that many transactions a month. And she didn't mind. But for me, it was this hugely symbolic hire. And I felt like there's someone on the payroll besides me. And it, I honestly wanted to impress her. Like, you know, at the end of the month, I'd be thinking, she's going to be looking at stuff. It just was an extra layer of accountability. Mm. Because I could kind of let it slide. I'm like, well, I'm not paying myself, so no one, you know, no one needs to know. But suddenly having someone that I had to pay for, and it was, I mean, I think it was like literally five hours a month to yeah. start off with. So it was a very, very small amount of money. And this is the mistake that we sometimes do as entrepreneurs. We think it's all or nothing. It's like, well, what would I get a full-time employee to do? Yeah. And it's like, well, you don't need a full-time employee. You could start with a VA who does very similar work for a lot of people and a couple of hours on your business, they'll handle that. And same with bookkeepers and accountants, is it's okay to start small. And for me, it was just this hugely symbolic thing. I was like, you know, they, they got my registration from the government, you know, and, but she was a really positive person. She was like, well, let's register you for GST, you know, like VAT. In Australia, you don't have to register until your business makes over, I think $75,000, something like that. And she was like, you'll get there. So why don't we start the paperwork now? And I was like, wow, she thinks I'm nice. a, a real business person. Like it was just <laughs> so validating to do that. And people listening, it might not be, you know, a bookkeeper, an accountant that's your symbolic hire. It might be a, a graphic designer or an assistant or someone else that's just outside of yourself that um, you will make the money for someone else. Mm, you know, like yeah. I would never have like not paid her, but I could have gone years without paying myself easily. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And I, I think also it's almost um, living up to their uh, image of you as well. You know, when you, when you say that you've got a bookkeeper saying, oh, you're going you're gonna to be getting to this level where you've got to pay sales tax. It's almost in you. It's both giving permission and a bit of a goal of, Okay, well, now I've got to. Like, if I'm, no, I've got I'm to strip of this thing, I'm not going to go through all this pain and additional cost and so on and then come under. It's, it, 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 and I think a lot of business is kind of removing each of those bottlenecks and they're, whether they're mindset related or systemic in your business or whatever, it's kind of just removing that next one, right? So, I mean, yeah. from the work that you've done with literally thousands of business owners and people, like, what does good look like when this kind of money mindset and management is done well? What does that look like? How does that show up? 
It looks like acceptance of your imperfections. I just hosted a two-day retreat with some of my private clients and it's the same thing. I'll say to them, you know, what's stopping you from going to the next level? Oh, I've got to be more organized. No, you don't. Everyone thinks that there's the version of ourselves today and then there's the more successful version and somehow we've undergone this metamorphosis where we're this perfect version of ourselves and we can accept imperfections in other people in our clients, yep. in our friends, in our peers, all of those things. But still we think, no, 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 it's really got to require me to really get my shit together. I have to get really organized. And I I know myself, you know, I, I make a lot of money. I am still so imperfect the same way I was in my first year of business. I'm still really disorganized. You know, I, I make a lot of mistakes. I can be really impulsive with things. And so the more that you can accept who you are and build your business around that, um, then you can just make money, not even regardless of all your flaws, but it's just like you realize that you don't need to be perfect to make money and yes. make tons of mistakes. Even there's no making it, you know, you'll still make the mistakes. Yeah, I love that. I think it's, I think it's so easy to idolize and look up to certain role models, entrepreneurs, etc., and through comparison say, oh, well, I'm... I'm so X or Y, like I'm so, as you say, I'm so disorganized or I'm not as creative or innovative as that and whatever. And almost the very act of doing that kind of makes it true, right? It's by yeah. by giving that self-talk and convincing yourself that you're not able to achieve those results because of that, it kind of makes it true. It's the opposite side of the coin to when you've got a bookkeeper saying, oh, well, you're going to hit this level. And you go, oh, am I? Okay, then. Yeah. <laughs> And, and flipping it round. So for, for clients that you've worked with where perhaps there's a lot of baggage, I suppose, for one of the better expression, like yeah. that there's a lot of holding back. And even though, like, theoretically, they see that, yeah, nobody's perfect, and yeah, I'll accept these things in the people around me, and yeah, I get that a load of my mindset is down to how I was brought up and, you know, all this sort of stuff. What are some of the obstacles that they still hold back on? What are the blocks that seem hardest to shift? And yeah. how do you tend to overcome those? Well, this is where it starts to get into the nuances, right? This is where it starts to become really fun because um, I'm certified in a method called Sacred Money Archetypes. And it looks at eight different money personalities. And we don't you know, have time to get into all of them, but um, every archetype, once you get over the big one of everyone's got work hard for money and, you know, all those things, yep. then you start to get into the nuances of, um, of personality. So, for example, accumulators are people who can be extremely frugal and very worried about money. They can be very sceptical. Um, they want to know the how, um, you know, and they want to know it's all going to work out. And mm -hmm. so they can often get really stuck in analysis paralysis because, you know, they'll see other people do it and they'll be like, but how? And can you guarantee the exact same results for me if I follow the process? And I'm one of those people, I'm like, just suck it and see, like, just try. And they're like, but how do I know it's going to work out? Yeah. You know, and so they are really driven by fear. And I will see accumulators, it doesn't matter how much money they have, it doesn't matter how much money they have in the bank. If you talk to them for five minutes, you would be convinced that they are one day from being homeless on the street. <laughs> because it's like, this really needs to work out. And I, I got this when I was in a mastermind with, um, I was teaching this woman. She was very pregnant 
And she was like, this business has to work out, you know? And I was, I was sleepless through this whole three day event because I was thinking, how am I going to help this pregnant lady, you know, save yeah. her unborn child and not be homeless on the street because her business hasn't worked out. And I finally said to her, look, I said, I've got to know, like, how long have you got until you run out of money? Because in mm. my mind, I'm like, I was always happy week to week. I was like, whatever, easy come, easy go. And she sat there and she went, okay, six years <laughs> until I completely run out of money if I earn not a single cent. And I was like, yeah. are you and I keep kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? I've been sleepless over these last couple of days because I was thinking, because for me, a couple of days, I'd be like, oh, I'll, I'll figure something out in a couple of days. And it really just brought home to me that it is real for accumulators, that yeah. that if something doesn't work out, they it's dire for them, right? And on the other side of it, you'll have mavericks and mavericks are like, whatever, I can just manifest it tomorrow if I put my mind to it. And so you'll have mavericks who are in this feast or famine cycle. They'll grow a big business because they're very magnetic and people will give them money and then they go, I'm bored of that now. I can't be bothered. And they'll burn it all down like a business that's working great because mm. they get bored or because there's that devil on the shoulder go, just get rid of it. Like, you know, what could we, like, let's start from scratch, you yeah. know, because it's the adrenaline of it is so exciting for them. And then, you know, there's there's six other personalities and they all have their different things too. And so I, I stopped giving business advice a long time ago unless I know someone's money personality because it completely depends. Mm. Hiring is very different for different archetypes. You know, connectors, for example, and nurturers, they hire people who are terrible because they feel sorry for them. Yeah. You know, they hire friends and family. They hire people who are hopeless because they feel sorry for them. And, and they'll hire people and pay the money. And the person's not even doing a job for them. The person's just like yeah. chuffed off with their money. And they go, I feel so bad. You know, um, rulers find it really hard to hire people because they, it's quicker and easier to do it myself. You know, I have to do all the things myself. Accumulators struggle to hire because it's cheaper to do it myself. Mm. You know, um, celebrities want an entourage and they hire people who are really fun and sexy, but, um, you know, they need to hire boring people, but they find, yeah. they find them too boring to hire. So I, um, you know, I, and people can do a quiz to find out. It's a free quiz, denisedt.com slash quiz to plug that. But, um, it's really different. And that's where you get into the nitty gritty of it and the nuances and to find out. And I, it's really fun when I have a conversation with people because I go, oh, I can see exactly why you're scared about growing your business. Um, and I can see exactly why you're sabotaging hiring. And I can see exactly why you're sabotaging your finances or your marketing because they, they do it in a very predictable way. Yeah. And Mavericks are like, no, I'm not predictable. And I'm like, you are? <laughs> and I know exactly yeah. what to say to you to use reverse psychology. And um, yeah, that's when it becomes really fun. And I think this is the, anyone listening, if you think, oh, money mindset, you know, I don't want to open that can of worms. I don't want to look at it. If you can come at it from a place of curiosity, then it becomes super fun. Cause then you go, oh, that's why I do that. Okay. Um, and then you can, you can shift it and change it, or you can just design your business around it. Like if you're a maverick, it's really hard to have a business model like a membership because it feels like handcuffs. You know, it's not like, oh, 
get better at commitment. It's like, no, just design your business so it flows mm. for you. And that's really the crux of my book too, Chill and Prosper. It's not like do business like me because oh, I live in Australia and I'm really chill. No, it's do business in alignment with your personality. Otherwise, it's going to feel really hard. Love that. Love that. Yeah, I, th I think that's such great advice around getting your business and the model and the very structure, the essence of it to map up to your preferences and how you prefer to think and so on. You mentioned the accumulator. I can totally imagine that the flip side is that for accumulator, having a membership type business is great because it gives them so much security and confidence of future income and so on so that they can feel more secure rather than feeling like, oh, well, we made 100,000 last month, but that was all down to one big event. That might not get repeated. Therefore, we can't grow and we can't do these things. And so exactly. yeah, I absolutely love that. That's, uh, and that's really, really awesome. On that example too, accumulators mm. can be very skeptical about marketing. But mm. once you tell them and say, you know, these are the statistics, and once they can geek out on those metrics and go, okay, the churn rate of my membership would be this, and, you know, I, I need to have this amount of people to see it. Once they get that, accumulators can be amazing business people because they can see how the machine works, mm. but they just have to get over their initial skepticism that, nice. you know, this isn't, this isn't valid or are people going to think I'm scamming them or, um, you know, they can just be very skeptical about marketing and, and the world of entrepreneurship in general. But once they get it, they're amazing at, at, at that kind of stuff and being yeah. realistic, right? Whereas yeah. you say to people, oh, 2% conversion rate, the alchemists are just like, oh, just manifest the people. And, and yeah. they do, but you can see too where business partnerships can clash mm. and couples can clash, right? Because it's like, well, where's your business plan? I'm just going to manifest the clients. And it can be very stressful if you don't understand and appreciate each other's money personalities. Yeah, I really, really like that. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Well, there's, <laughs> there's so much that we could dive into, Denise. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, we're coming up for time, but I, I do want to make sure that we identify where can people learn more about you and the approaches that you recommend and various resources. I mentioned denisedt.com forward slash quiz. People can check out the quiz to explore their money personalities. And I think that's a great resource. There's your website. But mm. if people were to pick one of your books, which one should they start with? You know, where, where would you recommend that people start in terms of learning more from you? Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, DeniseDT is my website and also I'm really easy to find on social media, just Denise DT, Instagram, Twitter. I love collecting money stories. So I always love when people DM me their, you know, ahas or tell me a story about their life and their, their money. Um, and uh, my books, Lucky Bitch is very much about kind of manifesting and being that in that energy where it looks like luck on the outside, but there's all of those little manifesting mm -hmm. kind of tricks to kind of put you in that in, in that space where synchronicities kind of are inevitable. So that's a really yeah. um, easy read. Get Rich Lucky Bitch is specifically about money blocks and talking mm -hmm. about those blocks like working hard and things like that. And then Chill and Prosper is my newest one and that's specifically about business. So um, designing your marketing and your business model and your pricing to suit your personality. Um, so you can read them in that order or you can just pick up whichever one sounds good to you. And they're on Audible and Kindle and paperback just you know the normal places where you can find books um and yeah and I just I love when people as I said reach out and tell me their stories because I'm just like that's what I love about my work I'm just like tell me your secrets <laughs> tell me 
tell me all your money mistakes because I I find it fun and I'm hoping that mm. people listening start to see that from a place of fun and lightness and curiosity because it still works. You don't have to go somewhere and, you know, walk on hot coals and cry to have a breakthrough around your money. Like you can literally just be like, oh, that's fun to know about. And so hopefully my resources can help. And I'll just say one thing about the quiz because um, sure. this was a really fun thing. Eight personalities, we designed... Um, a set and costumes mm -hmm. for each of the personalities. And so we filmed it at my farm, but each room, and like I'm talking, we had a colour scheme, but it was like little things on the shelves were related to those archetypes. So for the connector, we did like a rainbow happy theme and there was like thank you cards in the background because connectors, if they get thank you cards, they're probably going to display them and, you nice. know, pictures of my family and Poppy from Trolls. And then like the Maverick set was a world traveler theme. So it was like, you know, cause they're just adventurers. And, um, you know, the celebrity set was really hard for me cause I'm not a celebrity, but it was all shiny, beautiful things and designer shoes and handbags. And so I think people will really enjoy, um, you know, and I show the different sets as well, once you kind of get That's your cool. archetype, but that was a really fun creative project of putting myself yeah. into those personalities. And I could really feel the energy of that, you know, I really feel like when I was in the nurture set, I could really, I was like, oh my God, I really love you, nurturer. I love you so much. And then I would take off, you know, I had a grandma sweater with like a little um, like cat pin. And then I would take it off and I'd feel really sad to leave that. And then I'd yeah. put on my like leather jacket of the Maverick. And I was like, who was that? You know, and I think there's something really cool in business about really understanding not only who you are, but really understanding your audience and what their fears are around money. Um, and so, yeah, it's a really fun, um, you know, free course that you get after the quiz. And I could talk about it forever because I just, I had so much fun even just picking the set things, you know, picking all the little yeah. bits. That comes across. I love it. I, I yeah, can't wait to complete it myself. In fact. And tell me uh, what you are. You have to let me yeah. know. I have an idea, but it'll be interesting to see how it comes out. But yeah, we're meeting up in person in about a week. Yes. So uh, I'll be able to share with you. The yes, exactly. And because it's, um, it's really a combination of your top three too, right? Mm. So you could be an accumulator, accumulator ruler, or you can be an accumulator celebrity where you mm. like go back and forth between, I want all the nice things. I don't deserve nice things and I have to you know, eat beans. And it's fascinating <laughs> to see how those different flavors play out in people. And um, yeah, I live for that kind of thing. It's really yeah, fun. That's awesome. And I love that additional bonus gem of insight of around literally getting into the shoes or soft jumper of your target audience. Oh yeah. Uh, and really thinking about what motivates them and seeing the and seeing both sides of it, the things that hurt them and hold them back and the positives, the things that mean that they do great things for people. And I think that's uh, it's really nice to explore that. So yeah, I think that's yeah. a, a great resource both for self-insight, but also as a lens to look at people's own marketing. So mm. that's fantastic. And thank you so much today for joining me, Denise. My it's been uh, It's been awesome. Thank you so much. See you soon in Wembley. Fantastic. Yeah, looking forward to it. Now, we'll share links to Denise's website in the show notes at destressyourbusiness.com. And as regular listeners will know, I run a weekly webinar on how to free up 15 hours per week and remove the constant stress of running a business without that's, slowing down growth. You can amazing. find out more and register. Sorry? I said that sounds amazing. 
amazing. Tell me more about that. That sounds great. (laughs) Sorry. Well, fantastic. Good to these. That's okay. You can can find out more and register for the next one at www.airmanual.co forward slash webinar. Uh, And one last thing, if you found this episode useful, and let's be honest, you definitely did, do yourself a favor and subscribe. I promise you loads more episodes coming up that you don't want to miss. And particularly if you found today's episode game-changing for you, Denise and I would really love to know. So add a comment or tag us in a post on social media, send your money story. They are harvested by Denise. It fuels her on a day-to-day basis. So we will appreciate that, but also you'll help the episode reach other people that also need to learn these really important lessons. Otherwise, until next time, have fun.